Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to Run This World. You are going to love today's episode. It's with one of my favorite people on the planet, Dana D. I actually don't even know how to say her last name. It's very long, so I'm not even going to try. Everyone knows her as Dana D. She is iconic. She is so well-known in the Boulder community. I can't wait to share her today. So here's the deal. I've known Dana for at least probably about 20 years. Um, You'll hear the story in the interview about how I came to learn about the Walnut Cafe, which is a restaurant that she has owned for, I believe, 30 years. Um, She is so cool. I knew that I needed to have her come speak at Skirt Sports when we opened our new store. So I invited her over. She came. She did this awesome talk, but she opened it by saying, hey, everyone, totally excited to speak with you today. I could talk about being an entrepreneur, surviving two pulmonary embolisms, being an endurance athlete my entire life, being clean and sober for 32 years, being a living donor, but I'm not going to talk about those things today. She teased us. Instead, she actually did a beautiful talk about being an ambassador of love, which was just an incredible message of acceptance, learning how to stop judging people, and just facing the world with how a different outlook, um, especially as you as you get older. And it was just it was so cool. But I knew that I needed to expand that message. I wanted more. So I invited her over. She took me up on it. And uh, today we are going to dig into all of those topics that I just mentioned and more. But before we get going, this episode is brought to you by the Walnut Cafe. And we're going to do a giveaway with this episode. All you have to do is go to my personal Facebook page, Nicole Molson de Boom. There will be a link in the show notes to this page and sign up for the giveaway. You'll be entered to win a free meal with Dana D and me at the Walnut Cafe. Actually, she didn't know I was coming. I just put myself into that. So Dana D, I'm going to be there too. It's going to be a big party. So definitely register to win. If you don't live in Boulder, we can hold on to that freebie meal until you come visit, or you can opt for a Walnut Cafe tea instead. But in my opinion, if I were you, I would book a flight to Boulder just for the meal. It is that good. I have had virtually everything on the Walnut Cafe menu. Tim and I used to go there every Monday morning for at least a decade. We've done 
all of it from the cakes and the waffles, the griddle food to uh, the scrambles, the eggs, the omelets, to the lunch items, to the salads, and finally, of course, on Tuesdays to the pie. So there you go. Um, If you miss out on this giveaway, you will kick yourself in the butt later. So get on over to Nicole DeBoom's Facebook page and sign up. On that note, let's get this interview started. All right, all right. I am very, very excited to have the Dana D on the show. Thanks for coming today, Dana. You're welcome. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, it's going to be so awesome. We're doing this thing called Pass the Mic. <laughs> we are doing Pass the Mic. It's like Pass the Baton. So we're guessing when the other person is about to start talking or not. So you may not hear me laughing or crying at different times during this episode, but I most likely will be. So that's right. She's going to laugh. She's going to cry and she's going to laugh some more. (laughs) (laughs) So you may be wondering, what is this lady, this crazy Dana D doing on the show? The first thing I want to say is we're going to get into so many cool topics today because Dana is one of the most diverse and multi-layered people I have ever known. But today, the first thing you will notice when you see her, if you do see her, actually, you'll see her in the photos that are in the show notes on NicoleDeBoom.com. So get over there and check that out too. And by the way, can you tell we're drinking very strong coffee? Because already I can't shut up. I think they can smell it. Do you smell that coffee? It's so good. It's so good. But what's going on with Dana is she's got a big old cast on her arm. And she's sitting. This is really funny. She's sitting as if, well, her hands, it's like her elbows on the table and her fingers are pointing at the ceiling. And I haven't seen her move from this position. So what happened and how long do you have to sit this way? Okay, what happened? How long do we have? Uh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, this is my second injury, but, um, I think we were going to talk about this anyway, but I was riding my bike from Boulder to Burning Man, which was awesome. Coming in. What made you do that? That is crazy and insane. And where is Burning Man compared to Boulder and what is Burning Man? Okay. So, um, this had a lot to do with my friend, Ryan Van Duzer because he's been to Burning Man several times, and it's been on my bucket list. So, Boulder to Burning Man, which is in Black Rock City, Nevada, is about 1,100 miles. And we had a plan to do it in 10 days. So, we were riding a little over 100 miles every day, and our friend Michael Brown joined us, and we all started out. It was awesome. You know, I've done a lot of things, but I couldn't believe how strong and how fit we got just riding day after day after day. So beforehand, you weren't that strong or fit, but in the 10 days, you became strong and fit? No, I was strong and fit before that. (laughs) You're funny. Um, You know, I trained my ass off, um, literally, because I was getting ready for this huge ride. So no, I trained a lot. I trained hours and hours. I think I trained 20, I rode 2,400 miles in about eight weeks training for the ride. But okay, so this is what happened. Let's just get back to, okay, so we're doing this awesome epic ride. We're going across Wyoming, we're going across Utah, and then into Nevada. And it was on the ninth day, 940 miles into the ride. And I crashed. I broke my collarbone and I have to tell, I have to tell you this story because this is awesome. Okay. 
there's so much about, we could talk this entire 30 whatever minutes on this ride, but okay. So I crash, right? Like Ryan is to my left and just behind me and my front tire gets caught in this little kind of wedge, this little crack kind of between the pavements and just immediately stops me. And I go, what I think is over the handlebars. And the only thing I really remember about the crash is the feeling of my bike helmet sliding across the concrete. So I crash and then Ryan crashes all up into me and on top, I swear he bounced off of me. That's why he was so safe. But so I crash and Ryan immediately starts like, you know, he jumps up and we look like a garage sale. Like we've got paneers and water (laughs) bottles and just shit everywhere. And uh, so he runs up to me and he's like, are you okay? Are you okay? And of course, because he's going to take care of me. And I immediately knew that my collarbone was broken. If you've ever broken your collarbone, you know, immediately, it's just like that classic pain and sag to your shoulder. And so I say to Ryan, I think I've broken my collarbone. I'm pretty sure it's broken. And I pull my jersey back and Ryan takes one Ryan takes one look at it, and this is what he does. Ryan, you know I love you, but this is what he does. Ah! (laughs) It's broken! Yeah, it's broken! So it was like, it was just sticking out, like you could see the end of the bone. Like just, it was crazy. So, um, you know, he got me some help really quickly, and we ended up in this crazy little hospital in Battle Mountain, Nevada. And that's where my ride ended. So, you know, sometimes your journey ends differently than you think it's going to, but it was still an absolutely epic, epic journey every mile of the way. Okay. So that's how the collarbone happened. And then... Wait, okay. (laughs) So first question is, so Dana, how old are you? 55. Okay. What makes 55-year-old successful happy, you know, just balanced, awesome person want to undertake this ride? Like what was driving this? Um, Okay. So I have this thing where, you know, I wake up every single day and I am incredibly grateful to be given one more day. And I know that sounds kind of crazy. Like, how can you do that every single day? Sometimes you have, sometimes you don't feel well. Sometimes you're grieving incredibly. Sometimes you have too much to do. Sometimes you're busy, all of those things. But I have never let go of the fact that I'm grateful and aware of each day that I get. And so because of that, I love doing things that just really challenge myself uh, physically and spiritually. So I've done a lot of really what people would probably say crazy. They would probably say this was crazy but crazy sorts of endurance events just because I like how they make me feel. I like how they really put you in the present moment and you have to be super attentive to everything around you, both physically and spiritually. That's why. <laughs> well, I mean, I, and I get that and I love that. And and it takes actually a lot of discipline for somebody who is 
has many other things going on in their life to let go of those things so you can focus on the moment. Maybe that was the purpose. But um, but your point of sometimes your journey ending differently than you thought it might, I think that rings true for a lot of people. So you were a little bit derailed. So what happens? So you're in the hospital, they're figuring out how they're going to fix you. Your little cast here is not on your collarbone. So it sounds like some other things happened. (laughs) So take us through that. Okay. So, um, you know, I had the crash and then, um, I actually went to Burning Man. Like that was on a Saturday. We were planning on going into Burning Man on a Sunday. So, um, Ryan actually had to continue on. Like Michael and I both talked to Ryan and he ended up finishing, which was a really big deal for him because, you know, we'd already had a crash. Michael had had to quit earlier because he had a lot of pain in his knees. And so it, it ended up just being Ryan and we talked him into finishing, like, you know, doing it for the team. So he did, which was great. And then uh, I went on to Burning Man and I was able to put it in a sling kind of duct tape it to my body. I could still like get around the playa on my cruiser bike. The duct tape sling. <laughs> Love it. I know. So anyway, Burning Man was amazing. What do you do at Burning Man? I know. Is it like a big naked festival? No, 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 no. It's like a love fest. <laughs> and you know, that's my thing. So Yeah, you are um, an ambassador of love. That's right. So Burning Man, I really wanted to go mostly for all of the art, like I was really interested in the art installations and just how can a community exist like that for like a week with no money, you know, nothing like everyone just gives everything. It's, it's an amazing community. It's like one of those things that you, you can't even describe it hardly until you actually put your feet in the dust and you do it. But it's um, it's magical. It's it's lovely. It's beautiful. It's caring. It's kind. It's all of that. Um, I would say all those things are things that people might use to describe you. And so I wonder if an event like that attracts people, (laughs) kind of like preaching to the choir here, right? (laughs) You're surrounding yourself, though, by the things that drive you and make you thrive as a person. I hadn't thought of it like that, but yeah, I felt right at home there. And, uh, you know, Burning Man is also something for everyone. I mean, there is no judgment. So yeah, you could get naked, Nicole, and run around. But um, <laughs> I do love that. <laughs> I, I, I actually saw very little of that. But yeah, there's something for everyone. So uh, it's that everyone is welcome. Everyone is home at Burning Man. Okay, so there was a whole Burning Man thing, right? Okay, then I came back. I had surgery. I ended up having to have surgery. It wasn't going to just be put it in a sling. I I really fractured it. There were three different breaks and a bunch of little bone shards. And, you know, I don't do anything a little bit. No. So, um, okay. So then. Theme for today. That's right. Okay. So I had the surgery and um, here is the thing. Here is the truth. I may or may not have been riding my bike a little too soon when this Second accident happened. <laughs> you should see Nicole's face right now. That was part of the first accident. No, it really wasn't. I would like to say that it was, but um, yeah. okay. So 
it was like four weeks after surgery and I was able to ride my cruiser bike because it had a foot brake. And I was like really limited though. Like, you know, you can't really do much. I couldn't do much with my right arm or hand, but um, because I did okay on my cruiser bike, what, what's next? I think I could ride my mountain bike. <laughs> so uh, I did try that and I fell. And I think because maybe I was protecting the right side, I broke my wrist and had to have surgery on that actually a week ago. Oh, my good Lord. Well, you know, here's the thing. There's a couple really cool themes coming out. Number one is uh, I don't do anything a little bit. And I think we're going to find that in every topic we bring up today. Um, but what I would actually love to segue to is this idea of waking up and being grateful every day to be given one more day. And I was thinking about the idea of giving because I definitely want to touch on this topic. You are a living donor and this is a big deal. And I've never met someone who's a living donor and I can guarantee that many of the people listening haven't either. So I want to understand a, what happened? Who did you give to and why? And B like, how did that change your life? Wow. Yeah. Um, I'm super passionate about this. Um, I gave a kidney to my brother and that was in, 2007. My brother had a um, kidney disease and had had a donor, a living donor, when he was 22 years old. And at the time, I knew that I was a match. And the doctor at that time, which was brilliant, she said to me, we should wait because there will come a time when he needs your kidney. And so kidneys don't last forever. Like it was, it was actually 20, almost 20 years later when his kidney failed, the one that he had, they were out. And, um, I knew, I just knew that I was like the ace in the hole. So I had never been tested, but I knew that I would be a perfect match. And I was a perfect match five on five points. So I was able to give my brother a kidney and anyone who gives as a living donor, it's hard to describe. I don't think, I don't think you really can. It's like that thing of having to have the experience. I mean, did, did you question or is it immediately? Yes, I'm here. It was immediately. Yes, I'm here. Mm-hmm. Immediately. But, um, what, what impact does it have on you to not have a kidney? And did you even think about that? Um, I didn't think about that, but my brother did a lot. And even had it had an impact, I think I still would have made the same choice. But it doesn't. Like, you can be a living donor without having a physical impact. Now, it people think sometimes they're just going to donate an organ and go right back to work next week. And it's not that way. Like, I, I speak to a lot of donors who are um, going to be doing that. And I just tell them the truth because I think they need to know it's painful and it takes some recovery, but the reward is amazing. Like you can't describe the connection that you get when you literally save someone's life. Like that's what it is. It's saving someone's life. 
And I frequently say to people, and if you could see me now, I could totally cry because it still touches me like that. But um, if I don't get another thing right in my life, I know that I got that right. So yeah, it's a big deal. And uh, I encourage everyone to be donors and also sign up, you know, just sign up. A lot of people don't realize that if we had an opt in rather than the opt out, like if everyone was just a donor, unless you said otherwise, we would have no wait list. There would be no wait list. But um, how do people sign up? Because I'm sure a lot of people want to. And all we know about is that thing on the back of our driver's license. Like, how do you actually sign up? Is there registry? The biggest thing to do is let your family know. Have that conversation. Um, I've I've spoken at schools in different places, especially with kids, and kids really get it. Like when you talk to a kid about you have two kidneys, and that if something happened to your brother or your sister, you could give them one and it would save their life. They go home. I've had like parents or principals or people call and say, um, "My kid just came home and said they want to give their brother their kidney." But, <laughs> but you know, they, they get it, like they understand that. So I think talking with your family, talking and letting them know that if something happens, you know, what your wishes are. Because a lot of times, I, this is difficult and hard to talk about, but when you have like a, an accident or, you know, something happens to your loved one, your child, your, your sibling, your parent, immediately the we go into like this traumatic grieving and it's just like, let's just, you know, never mind. Let's just go through the memorial. Let's do the service. Let's do this. And you don't really think about in the next room down, there's a parent or a sister or a brother or a child waiting for someone to save their loved one's life. And uh, it's powerful. It's super powerful. Gosh, I'm totally crying. <laughs> it's and it's it's very true. Um, what happened? You know, how is your brother? Okay, that's uh, that's a good question. Um, and I know you know the answer. Um, my brother passed away, and that was actually five years ago, just about five years ago. And he had my kidney for five years, and it completely changed his life. And it was uh, the best five years that I think I've had with him. And uh, I used to kid kid with him because, oh, he was such an athlete, you know, mountain biker, cyclist, hiker, all of it. And uh, I told him it was one thing to get my kidney, but the other thing was he got my DNA. So uh, it was amazing. It was... Uh, so he became a better athlete after getting your kidney? I'm going to say yes. <laughs> and you know what? I think he would say yes, too. Um, yeah, it was awesome. And we got to enjoy a lot of great, great times together. And, um, it was amazing for him not to be on dialysis. And he used to say that being on dialysis was like a half-life. I mean, it's no way to live. It's life support really, but it's no way to live. And, um, cancer took his life. Um, you know, cancer has taken a lot of lives and, um, I lost my brother to cancer. I lost my mom to cancer, but I know that those five years were incredible and amazing. And we're both really glad that that happened. Well, and you're taking his legacy forward because you started a nonprofit, didn't you? 
I did. I started the KRD Foundation. Thanks for asking about that because now I don't have to bring it up. Um, yeah, the Kirk Rocky Derek Seiler Foundation. And every spring, all three Walnut Cafes do a huge fundraiser for this group. And our focus is getting kids outside, getting kids on bikes, uh, getting kids hiking. Um, some of the things we donate to, we're the largest contributor to Community Cycles Holiday Bike Giveaway, which is coming up, and we'll get at least 200 kids on bikes with helmets. And we also donate to Assisted Cycling, which I love. We've been able to purchase bikes that are specialty bikes f with kids who may have certain physical challenges are then able to go like on a day ride with their family because they wouldn't be able to purchase a specific, you know, trike or bike or what they need. Uh, we also fund Transplant Living Center where they can put like hardwood floors into a home where patients will be recovering. Um, you know, we really just focus on education through Boys and Girls Club and getting kids active and teaching kids about organ donation. That... So you are an endurance athlete. You're an entrepreneur, which brought to hit on a little more. You are a philanthropist. You have given literal pieces of yourself to people and to the pavement. <laughs> um, so you, you mentioned this just now. You own a small business called the Walnut Cafe. And I have to tell a quick story. In 1995, I met Tim DeBoom on an airplane and I moved to Boulder and I needed to get a job. So one of the things I loved and I was really good at was waitressing. <laughs> Not kidding. One of my favorite jobs ever and still probably, hey, I know that I could always fall back on that career. And um, so I went around to a couple restaurants that I liked in Boulder, one of which was the Walnut Cafe. And I had an interview and it was great. Okay, so I walked away, but they said, hey, we'll get back to you. So I walked away, and then I went over to another restaurant called Murphy's, and I did an interview, and they said, all right, you're hired. So Walnut Cafe, unfortunately, I never ended up working there because they didn't say you're hired immediately. You got to jump on that stuff. So your restaurant serves up the most delicious breakfast, lunch, and you make like badass pies beyond belief. What made you an endurance athlete, you know, a multifaceted woman want to get into this? Hmm. The short answer um, that I tell people is um, I'm bossy. Um, <laughs> it's true though. And it's important to know what you're good at. So um, no, I, I really enjoy and love and I still do. And I'm super passionate about um, people. And even though I'm in the food business, really what my job is about is people. And I love managing and I love all my customers, and I love the community that we've built, and I love everything about that kind of interaction and relationship that you have with people, like the regular customers and everyone. Like, I can't imagine a better fit for what I do. Um, so it was, you know, decades ago, a long time ago, and you just said, Hey, you know what? I think I want to get into the business type of business that has the highest failure rate in the world. <laughs> Let's do it because I love people. I mean, the word love becomes important here. I think it really does, but is like, why a restaurant? 
I didn't know that I couldn't do it. Okay, so Ooh, that's a good. That is a good. I didn't know that I couldn't, um, and I frequently say if I knew then what I know now, I never would have done it because it was a high risk when you just said that. My parents took a big risk and, you know, I don't know, as entrepreneurs, you know, I was 23 years old and my parents lent me $24,000. I don't know where they got that from. I have no idea. And, you know, I never could have gotten a loan from a bank or I don't know, but my parents took a big risk. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes as entrepreneurs, you have to get money from wherever you can, like family or everything. You just have to scrape and go. But I didn't know I couldn't do it. And I just felt like I could uh, make the business work. I actually bought in to the Walnut with two partners and it was losing money. (laughs) And so... I guess I thought that was a good business to go into, one that's just losing money. So I went in, and uh, this is a funny story. The first week, I think it was on a Friday, I noticed that mostly what we had was people at the counter, you'll love this, who were smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee. In Boulder? In Boulder. This was 1985. And... We really didn't have a whole lot of other customers. And so on that Friday after Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I put up a sign on the door that said no smoking. And the server that I had at that time was like, great, Dana, now we don't have any customers. (laughs) So what I decided, though, was that we wouldn't lose as much money because they wouldn't just be sitting at the counter drinking coffee. So it took a lot of... uh, hitting the pavement and a lot of relationship building, but I slowly began to build that business. I literally would run, run off, like because we only could make copies then, um, the lunch specials for the week. Like I decided maybe if we had something special for lunch, people would come in and I would run off 200 of them. And I started walking around to every single business and I would walk in and I would say, these are the lunch specials we're having next week. And this was on Friday afternoon. And I got to know all the front of the house people in the offices. And I said, put this on your bulletin board or, you know, tell people what we're doing. And slowly, slowly, slowly people started coming in and uh, getting the lunch special. And once you get people in, that's the key. You get people in and you have to keep them. So I slowly got people in and um, I don't know, I think within a year I broke even. I didn't lose money anymore (laughs) and paid all my bills. So, So, you know, this is the age of instant gratification. You know, people don't have the patience to go around and literally meet people face to face if they can't text them or do an instant message or whatever. Like it's done. They're moving on. So what was it? Granted, this was in the 80s. You didn't have that option. But I think it's a good lesson that's still valid today because I believe that the power of relationships really does bring things forward. So you are kind of a master of relationships. So what happens then? You you get your business um, profitable, let's say, or break even, and you realize this could be sustainable. Did you w- immediately think, okay, now I'm going to grow it or open new locations? What happens next? I didn't think that. Um, all I wanted to do was make a living and a simple one at that. Like I wanted 
a couple of bikes. I wanted a snowboard. I wanted a ski pass. I wanted some time off. I wanted to not have to work two jobs. I was working two jobs. I actually paid my parents back within three years. So I was working two jobs. I would work at the Walnut until 2.30 in the afternoon. We closed. I would hightail it over to Ideal Market. And I started a shift there at four o'clock and I would work from four to 10 as a cashier. And I actually met people there that I still know today. It's awesome that they'll come in. They'll be like, I remember when you used to cashier at Ideal Market. Um, So I was working probably 70 hours a week to get ahead and get caught up. And uh, I just wanted to run a good business. I wanted to run a business where people wanted to be there. I wanted to run a business where employees wanted to be there. Customers wanted to be there. I wanted to be there. And um, one of the things that we really practice is allowing our employees to be genuine and to be authentic and to be who they are. Like we don't have any uh, dress code. When you come in, you'll see people are really get to be who they are. Um, We don't have any rote kind of thing that they say when they come to the table. Like um, they get to build a relationship with the customer and be genuine. So I just wanted to like create those relationships and just have a healthy business that I loved, that I was proud of. And that happened. And because that happened, I think uh, I love putting people around me that are kind of like-minded who love their work and I don't like to babysit employees. Like I like for people to do well because it feels good to do well. And um, that's how I ended up expanding. A younger woman at the time, Julia Bonanno, came to me and said, I would love to do a second restaurant. Like I would love to have a restaurant. And how about I just talk to you every single week and ask you questions about how you do this, because I love how you do it, and I'll do something for you. I'll run errands, or I'll do something for you, and you can tell me about your business. So telling Julia about the business, I actually realized I had a really awesome business, and I had a lot you of had, knowledge. and I had loud enough. No, I, I was like, wow, we really are doing something right here. And so I watched uh, Julia kind of wrap her brain around what it might be like to run a restaurant. And then she came to me and said, how about if we do another walnut? And I said, no. I said, I'm doing enough. I have enough. I think it's important to know when you have enough. And uh, I said, no. And then she kept at it and she kept learning and I kept mentoring and she would come back to me and say, how about we do another walnut? And I said, no. So I continued to do that until she wore me down. Not really, Julia, you were awesome. But um, I did finally say yes. And um, that's how we started expanding. And that then took a whole nother turn. That allowed me to do something where I wasn't day in, day out on the line, cooking, doing everything. And I discovered something else, which I love, which I've always known is that I'm a teacher and I love mentoring and I love teaching people about the business. And I learn so much from them because they're so passionate and you get that really fresh look and perspective 
on the business. Uh, I absolutely think you're a natural mentor. Whether you want to be or not, that's just who you are. So get used to it. Um, There's a couple points I want to make about Walnut. First of all, uh, there is a line that is often an hour long on the weekends. Okay. So FYI, if you are in Boulder... It's never quite an hour, 45 minutes max, but that's a good thing if it is. And uh, so to think back to the days when you had five counter sitters smoking and drinking coffee. Um, Also, if you all recall, a couple episodes ago, I interviewed Ash Beckham. These famous pancakes she was talking about were, uh, that story came from when she was waitressing at the Walnut Cafe. Was she at the South Side? South Side. Southside, so Julia's restaurant. How cool. Cool is that. And the other cool thing is that we are going to do a little uh, promotion contest on Facebook and give away a breakfast or lunch with Dana D. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Because who doesn't want to like sit around this great, wonderful loveliness and, and just shoot the shit and learn from her because she's amazing. So when, uh, another question, do you eat at the Walnut still? Oh, I eat there all the time. Um, I eat there all the time. I love it. It's my favorite breakfast place. Okay, this is my favorite go-to breakfast. Um, I like to get a half huevos, and you can get a half. You just have to ask for it. It's not on the menu. I like to get half huevos, and then I like to get uh, baby cakes, which are the little ones. And I like to get them with blueberry cornbread. So I get something spicy and something sweet. And I often start with a piece of pie, especially at my table. Like if I'm with people, I often start with a piece of pie just to share because who doesn't love pie? Well, and if you, if you don't do pie at the beginning, you're not going to save room. No, No, so you got to do pie first or else you're not going to get your dessert. I love it. I love it. Um, so I'm remembering back to, to starting skirt sports and running on adrenaline and working those long 70 hour weeks. And, you know, uh, at the time that I was starting that I was also sort of dealing with or not dealing with, um, an issue that plagued me for a long time, which was alcohol. And this is something that Dana and I have talked about before. And I really wanted to let her share her story about how she got clean and sober when that happened and, and how that process and journey has been. Wow. You just keep coming, don't you? You just keep coming, girl. Uh, wow. Um, okay. I have 32 years clean and sober and You know, because this recurring theme, I don't do anything a little bit. I was a track athlete in high school and then went on to compete at CSU for a bit. And uh, during that time... Wait, and you were a star (laughs) athlete too. You need to tell them just a little bit about your running background. Um, Well, you know, that was way back in the day, way back in the day, but... um, Title IX was really happening in the late 70s, and I was actually on the first state girls' state cross-country championship team, and uh, that was down in Pueblo East, and I would definitely give a shout-out to Coach Joe Garcia, because for the longest time I competed, um, of course, with the boys, and uh, on the boys' team, which was great, but uh, we finally got to... uh, compete as girls and won that state championship. And then 
Um, you know, I went out to run long distance. Uh, CSU was kind of the school to go then, either CSU or Arizona State or Eugene, Oregon. And I chose CSU, which was awesome. Although I did compete once here, sidebar. I did compete once at Eugene, Oregon, and it was a dual meet between CSU and Oregon. And we had 12,000 spectators. Like that stadium was absolutely full. It was amazing. It was like the Olympics or something. Who draws a crowd for track? Eugene, Oregon. <laughs> really? I mean, that was, you know, way, way back in the day. But um, I loved competing and I loved, you know, running and that was my thing then. But I got injured. Um, I got injured. I tore my plantar fascia and plantar fasciitis is like just a really devastating injury, especially to long distance runners. And back then what they would do would be to shoot it up and put you back on the track and make you run. And at some point I finally had a sports medicine doctor that said, you can continue to do this, but you most likely won't be able to do the other things that you love. I was just tearing it up. So that really gave me freedom at that point when I wasn't really competing to drink and drug. And so that's what I did. And also back in the day, like when you were a uh, scholarship athlete, you know, I think now if something happens, you know, they, they get you like some therapy or they talk to you about, you know, oh, your whole life you've been this little star athlete and now that we're taking all that away. So what are you going to do with your life? And I never got any of that. And so I really did turn to uh, drugs and alcohol. And I definitely am an alco- I'm an alcoholic and I don't do anything a little bit. And I couldn't... Uh, I just went hard and fast and there came a point in my life where I knew that if I didn't stop or I didn't quit, it was going to take my life. And I ended up uh, calling a number. Well, actually, there's another story about the Secretary of State of Colorado, but... um, that I know <laughs> that is really a, it. It really is. Um, I also was coming out at that time as a lesbian, and so I had both of those things, like you know, big as I mean, and that was back in the early '80s where there was no, uh, there was no Ellen, there was no Katie Lang, there was no Melissa Etheridge, there was no one, and so. You know, it was a big secret and it was uh, frightening. And uh, I don't know that I can out this person, but I was having a secret relationship with someone who, um, you know, thought I might have a problem drinking. And uh, so they called me out on it and I did. And so there was one evening when I called AA because I thought they would be closed I was like, I got to get a handle on this. I got to figure this out. And of course, alcohol was causing such problems in my life. So I called AA thinking that they would be closed. So you were safe. You could just leave, yeah. leave a message? Well, like they would just like say, you know, maybe how I could get some help or where to right. go or something. But you never call AA that you don't get a person. 
ever. And so I ended up talking to someone for a couple hours. I ended up getting some help. The next morning I went to a meeting and uh, it changed my life. And um, I did get help and I've been uh, clean and sober pretty much ever since. And that's the best thing that ever happened. Like, yeah, it's been great. And um, anyone can do it. And uh, it just takes making the decision. And yeah, so I'm super grateful. That probably is a lot about my gratitude of every single day. Like I had to really make a decision that day to choose life, to choose life. And um, I really have, and I'm super grateful even to AA because they gave me the beginnings of my like spiritual journey. So uh, that is uh, really powerful and emotional. I, I can remember uh, a fear when I stopped drinking because there are times in our lives when we have defined ourselves as a certain thing. So for you, you know, Dana, you were an athlete, then that was sort of taken from you and then you're a drinker, so you're a party or you're, you know, whatever. And I do personally remember a fear of what are people going to think of me now? Like, will I still be fun? That was a big question. Can you still be fun if you're not getting hammered and doing shots and being an idiot? So I really applaud that you were so young when you went on this journey. And it sounds like it was, there were a lot of things going on in your life at the time, but I really applaud that. And I'm really grateful for you for even talking about it today. Yeah, it was, um, you're right. Like people think, you know, how, how am I going to be in the world? How am I going to be with my friends? How am I, how am I going to do that? But, um, it, we are so many things and, um, we're not so many things like, you know, I'm not just one label or one title. And, uh, it's interesting because today, you know, we'll be out or I'll be dancing or, you know, all the things that we do. And, uh, my wife, Santa, will have people today say to her, like when it'll come up and she'll be like, oh, Dana doesn't drink. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, she does. I've had a drink with her. Like we were at this party and blah, blah. And she's like, nope, you just thought she was drinking. <laughs> so, you know, but, you know, I can have like a non-alcoholic beer or something. And yeah, I mean, it's, um, I like really being who I am and being really true to that. And, um, that's just love. That's who I am. <laughs> that is very true. And it's glowing and coming off of you right now. Well, I have to say, I like waking up feeling good every day and not, not feeling like there's a cloud over me. So we have, uh, surpassed our 5k mark. As you know, the podcast is based on the average 5k time. So we're going to, we're going to lead into the last question. Okay. This is so awesome. And we could do like two or three follow-ups with Dana. We might have to do that um, because there's so much more to tell. But I like to ask every person who comes on the show that if they could give our listeners one piece of advice, one nugget, one thing that will help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would that be? That's so easy. I can answer that. Boom. Lead with kindness. I frequently say, because... I am quite a spiritual person. Like if you get to know me, you know, I've got a little bit of that woo woo factor, but, um, love is my religion and, um, kindness is my philosophy. And 
lead with kindness. You know, especially today in this crazy, wacky political world that we're in, I was just saying this morning, like, there was a story. Did you see the story about the basketball player where he made this shot? I don't even watch basketball. But some guy in the stands, like, they had a, it's on video and everything. He was like, just flipped him off, like, just in his face, just flipped him off. And it blew up on Twitter, and they ended up actually escorting this man out of the stands. And I thought about that. I thought like, what could make someone so angry? Like, so it's just mean, it's mean spirited. And I think that we really, all of us just need to be more kind. Like, and here's the thing. I also said this this morning, I was having a discussion with Xantha. I don't know if it's that I'm selfish. (laughs) Like, I don't like to think of myself as selfish, but I like to be kind and lead with kindness and really have that be the focus of my day because it feels so good. And who doesn't want to feel good? Like, I want to feel good. So I want to love people. I want to be kind to people. I want to be attentive. And I just don't know to be mean-spirited. Like, when people post horrible things on Facebook and all kinds of negativity, like, who does that serve? How does that serve you? Like, to have that kind of negativity and mean spiritedness in your life. So here's my nugget. It's so simple. Lead with kindness. Let's be kind to each other. Hey, if that is selfish, then I'm going to reframe what selfish means. And let's all be selfish too. Dana, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're super awesome. awesome. You're awesome. You're awesome. (laughs) It was great. Thank you. All right, guys. I don't know about you, but I am inspired. Thanks to Dana D. I love her. I'm sure you all want to invite her over to your house. Of course, you should let her cook for you because she's incredible. But in the end, her message of lead with kindness It really strikes a chord. Love is her religion. Kindness is her philosophy. I think we could all learn a little bit of something from that. So everybody, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And don't forget to get over to my Facebook page. That's Nicole Molzon de Boom. Sign up for the giveaway. You may just win a meal with Dana D and me. All right, everyone, on that note, you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout. See you next week.